for a special kind of sort of podcast this week. I'm not in my usual location. I'm actually down in lovely Charleston, South Carolina, getting ready to uh, participate in a College of Charleston Investment Symposium on one of my favorite topics, thematic investing. Uh, AAP members, you know exactly what I'm talking about because we have introduced that thematic framework into how we think about the portfolio, both existing positions and candidates as well. But we did want to have at least a quick podcast this week. So my thanks to Todd Campbell from Street Smarts to uh, working around my rather ridiculous schedule this week. So, Todd, thank you. Oh, my pleasure to be here, Chris. And, you know, I, I, how's the weather down there? We've got some snow up here in, in uh, snow, snow. What's that? Yeah, I know. It's been a very calm year for snow this year up here. And uh, but how's the weather down there? So I got, uh, you know, I was a little concerned because I, I live in um, just outside Washington, D.C., as you know, and I was a little concerned about traveling. So I always dress in layers and even walking off the jetway, I was like, oh, my God, I need to shed these layers because it was over 80 degrees and sunny. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. And I just I've always heard good things about that city or town and I'd, I'd love to go sometime and uh and it sounds like it just you, look i saw a couple pictures you sent and it looks like you're having a good time there I, I am and todd uh not not to uh you and i chat about this all the time it seems when we do the podcast now um i know exactly what you're referencing and i will do my best to find out what brewery makes that orange infused blonde ale for you i just it looked fantastic <laughs> And I'm not going to lie, it was rather tasty, too. But let's let's get down to business because it, it's, uh, you know, a tight tighter than usual schedule this week. Um, what are your what are your thoughts about the week thus far? And, you know, let, let me preface that by saying that, um, you know, the market's been down the last several days as we talk here on Thursday, February 23rd. It looks like it was fighting for a chance to uh, move higher. And then we've got the revised. um fourth quarter GDP numbers that showed, yes, the PCE price index was revised higher, therefore reconfirming what we've seen lately of, yes, inflation is stickier than previously thought. And we've got some Fed heads that are coming out today that my suspicion is they're likely to throw a wet blanket on the market saying, you know, inflation is stickier than we thought and we may need to do more. But but what's your take on it, Todd? Well, a couple of weeks ago on the show, you would ask me what economic data specifically I was watching that week. And my response was that I wanted to see not necessarily one particular um, absolute number in, in these economic reports. I wanted to see how uh, the markets reacted to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stock market kind of shrugged it off initially, but the real tell was the bond market and the dollar. Right. Um, and, and if you look at the bond market and the dollar, um, the, the long bond, the TLT, 20-year treasury ETF as a proxy, um, you know, that peaked on February 2nd. And sure enough, stocks made no headway after February 2nd, which is, you know, obviously following the Fed's uh, most recent decision to raise rates. And I, I it really, the acceleration uh, downward in the TLT I think was it was shouldn't be ignored, and I think that was probably the catalyst for the sell-off in stocks. I mean that, yeah, just as it was the catalyst for the rally in stocks since October, when you know ten-year um, yields had fallen from four point four percent to 
you know, the mid threes. Now we're back up to, I think, 3.9 or something like that. So that plus the dollar, the fact that the dollar has been rallying and the dollar weakness had been, um, so, you know, supporting stocks since last fall as well. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that the bond in, in currency markets, they kind of told us, hmm, uh-oh. And that was because of the data you referenced and the fact that we it looks like the economy is a little bit stronger and maybe more inflationary than some expected. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, we also got the, uh, at, oops, sorry, got to careful with the old microphone there. Uh, we also got the S&P flash PMI for uh, February, and it did show the domestic economy, manufacturing services contracting. But when you looked inside that, going one layer below the headline, the comments about inflation were not very helpful. And I, I suspect that we're, we're in this, you know, revised narrative, Todd, where, you know, when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, the question was, okay, what's going to happen with earnings expectations? They need to come down a little further. Now the focus is back on inflation and what the Fed is doing. Very much understandable. But I, I do wonder if the market had some hopium earlier that, oh, inflation, oh, the Fed's got this. We're almost near the end of the tightening cycle. And now it's going to start to swing the other way, but but pretty hard. And I think- yeah. And I, and I think we're going to ping pong back and forth until we finally get to the point where the Fed is actually starting to slow what they're doing. Still still going to hold rates higher for longer, uh, most likely into 2024. But I, I think that's the issue the market's going to have to contend with, this back and forth over what it thinks the Fed is going to do next. Yeah, I think that a lot of people were looking at January following you know, the weakness in December from the tax loss selling, and a lot of people were bearish. Um, a lot of institutional investors were bearish coming into the year. So there were a lot of people that were off sides. And then we got that strength uh, early on. It kind of forced people's hands and, you know, triggered all sorts of algorithms, triggered all sorts of short, co short covering, et cetera, and drove these things up a lot. I think one of the things that we probably should, you know, just looking back historically, we should keep in mind, February is usually not a good month for stock market performance. I think it's the second worst month of the year. I think the average return going back to 1950 or something like that is basically a little bit less than 0% on average return for the month, only September being worse. So it's not odd to have a very strong January um, and then expect that, you know, because stocks don't go up in a straight line to have some give back, especially in February, which is typically a relatively weak month. You know, one of the things that Helene um, Meisler, who comes on, helps out AAP, uh, and I read her stuff all, you know, every day on, on top stocks, she does great work. Uh, one of the things she's been talking about is how her intermediate um, oscillator that measures overbought and oversold advanced decline line over the past 30 days. Well, that got overbought roughly last week. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. usually that's been a pretty good tell that you're going to have some tough sledding for stocks. And so you've got all of these things kind of coming together. And this is something Doug Cass talks a lot about on his diaries, the valuation. You know, back in September, the S&P 500 was trading at 15.2 times forward earnings, right? That's relatively attractive valuation. But now it's up to 18. And if you look forward historically over time, if you look forward, your expectation for the next year at an 18 PE is pretty much flat returns. So I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, well, you know, if the Fed's going to have to follow through on their threat for higher for longer, 
And if now we're modeling for increases all the way through June, where previously, you know, there was some hopium that maybe they would stop as early as March. Um, so now the terminal rate, the rate at which they'll stop raising uh, interest rates has been revised higher. And I think that that's, you know, that's all of that is happening at the same time. And I think that that's the reason that stocks are, are kind of, you know, getting knocked about here. Now, just to put it in perspective, though, Chris, we're down, what, five, five and a half percent. Um, you know, that's not that's not that scary. I mean, we're no, still no. year to date. I mean, five percent pullbacks are not, you know, they're not unexpected. No, they're not. I, I, I think it's kind of reset where we were in some respects back to, you know, earlier this year. And that's fine. But, you know, a couple of things just to touch on, Todd. Uh, you know why I think the stock market doesn't do well in February and September? Why? Well, if you think about the timing, particularly for February, most companies kind of roll up their prior year books and then they uh, report typically with, with the bulk of them coming the last week of January uh, and into the first two to three weeks of February. So it, it's almost a, a resetting of expectations relative to what the market thinks earnings are going to be for the coming year. And then kind of the flip side as well, when we get uh, into, you know, a little bit of September, but really into October, because that gives us the first hard look at what the forthcoming year will be. So I, I'm not surprised that that tends to be the case. Uh, but sticking with that, though, and, and just weaving over to what you were talking about in terms of market valuation, I, I was reading some stuff this morning, pretty fascinating. Um, I think it was UBS, if I remember correctly, I, I might be wrong. But this... Uh, Strategist sees uh, 198 in S&P 500 earnings for uh, this year. Now that's down from the consensus, and you and I have talked about this in the past about how we watch this, and you know we'll have we'll have to wait and see how realistic numbers are for the S&P 500 earnings for 2023. Are they going to be closer to 220 flat year over year, or will they be down 195, 200, 205? It's, it's still early in the year, but something to watch. Um, but this gentleman made an interesting point, and it was that if you annualize first quarter 2024 earnings, it's around $211, right? And if you think about that expectation vis-a-vis -vis what it's likely to be for the back half of the year, that's pretty big growth compared, uh, you know, period over period. And there's a lot of questions as to whether or not that is achievable. And I, I just find it fascinating that we're we're only, you know, six weeks into 2023 and we're already getting big questions about 2024 EPS growth. Yeah. And, you know, if you look back at last year and that's why, you know, investors have to take what analysts say with a very big grain of salt. If you look back at last year at this time, they were looking for $249. Mm -hmm, 250-ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and so here we are now looking forward to 2024, and we're again looking for $250 roughly uh, in EPS. And I think that the, the hope for people has been, okay, well, we're going to trial our earnings in the second quarter, and then we're going to ramp earnings in Q3, Q4, and then have stable, strong, solid earnings in Q1, Q2 of 2024. Now, you could argue maybe that you know, we're all focusing on 2023 numbers, but, you know, as we get deeper into the year, they're going to start doing rolling four quarter mm -hmm, calculations. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not like you're going to be you're going to be looking at this 2023 number and thinking, oh, is it going to be only 210? But a lot of people in their heads are already going to be modeling for, say, Q3, Q4, Q1, Q2, and saying, no, it's going to be more like 230 or it's going to be more like 240, right? And since stocks followings over time and they kind of lead them, you know, um, as well, um, it wouldn't be surprising, you know, if, if you ended up having maybe weakness now, maybe a chop bucket until mid-March, get into the second quarter, maybe some optimism starts to build, rally a little bit, flatten out again, and then we, you know, kind of push into the year end. But again, that's that that's just total guesswork, but it's kind of like the mental model that I'm working with right now. But you have, but you have to, right? And, you know, I, Bob Lang and I would talk about this all the time. We, we would weigh, we would discuss different scenarios and then weigh the probabilities of them, right? And, and as we get more data, we would revisit those probabilities because you have to think things through in order to build and execute on your game plan. You, you can't simply wake up one morning and go, oh, this happened. I guess I'll do this, right? It's... You know, maybe you could do that with a stock, but when you've got to manage a portfolio, you you need a more well-rounded um, plan of action, I guess is yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, this rigorous forward thinking, right? You, right, you, you right. You can't just right. base it on one data point and then extrapolate forward. You actually have to think, okay, well, you know, what could change? You know, you have to start looking at what the year-over-year um, impact will be, you know, against much easier comparisons when you're talking about things like commodities, et cetera, that are inputs into inflation. You have to start thinking about, well, when they do finally catch up on shelter, you know, what will that do to inflation later in the year? You know, will mm -hmm, that give mm -hmm. the Fed some wiggle room? So I think you're right. You do need to kind of weigh all of these, you know, different potential outcomes. You know, one of the things I mentioned before with Helene talking about the intermediate indicator, you know, if that went you know, oversold last week, roughly, you know, seven, 10 days ago, something like that, then you would expect sometime in, you know, the second week of March, maybe for the market to start finding some footing. So that's, that's another thing to consider just, you know, looking at it from a sentiment perspective. And that would be in line, if you, again, looking back at history, the historical path in pre-election years would be for a pause in February and then a reacceleration uh, in March. So that's something to, to bear in mind too. I agree. I agree. I, I think the big event, and this isn't going to come as a surprise to any Action Alerts Plus members, but it's going to be the Fed's next policy meeting. You know, we've got a number of data points. I, I think, as I alluded to earlier, we're probably going to ping pong around. Is it 50? Is it 25? And each incremental data point will, will give us some clarity on that. But you, you said something earlier that I, I think, you know, I'd been thinking that we would potentially see things uh, wash out, bottom out, you know, sometime in the second quarter. And then I agree with what you said earlier that we might be on stronger footing for the back half of the year. I'm not as convinced of, of that now. And the only reason for that is if the Fed does have to do more work to tamp down inflation, going as you indicated by the um, CME FedWatch tool, continuing to raise rates until at least, I think you said June, which was the last thing that I saw, um, right. You know, I, I think that, you know, the summer is not always the best time to be in the stock market. You know, sell in May and go away is the ad is the adage. Um, you know, we could be in that same position that I was looking for the second quarter through most of the summer. Right. That probably is what one of the, you know, parts that's going into Doug Cass's thinking of that we've pulled forward a lot of the year's gains in the first month. 
mm-hmm. or we could be in a kind of a you know self-described chop bucket um, for a little bit where you know we have movement up and down, but we don't make a whole heck of a lot of ground in, in percentage terms, which is great for stock pickers. I mean, that's great for you know AAP. I mean, I, I think one of the other things I found interesting and still interesting. Um, and we saw this a lot in January is that, you know, the bias still is to cover short positions after earnings. I mean, even if these earnings look, you know, on an absolute basis year over year, pretty poor, you're seeing some pretty, pretty big moves up in some of these stocks. And I, so, I think that's something that's a character change from what we saw in the middle of last year. I, I'm sorry to laugh at that, Todd, but I, I think you're right. And, and I was, I, the reason I'm chuckling was NVIDIA. Um, yeah. you know, I, I saw their results last night and I, I put a tweet out making fun of it using air quotes or quotes actually in the tweet. They're great guidance because when you look at it, yeah, it's up sequentially, right? But when you look on a year over year basis, it's still down, you know, double digits, you know, so it's, it's not where it was before. And I think it's going to take time to, you know, work back there. The other thing that was very funny, and um, I I love the ability to search transcripts like this. Todd, any guess how many times NVIDIA uh, on their earnings conference call the word AI was mentioned? Uh, I do have a guess because uh, Sarge actually in a real money column um, did, counted them manually by hand, he says. So I have a guess, but why don't you tell us? Well, so using um, these search tools that we all have, uh, usually it's, you know, control F or command F if you're an Apple user like myself, uh, and you used AI, it came, it was referenced between the management team and the folks and the analysts dialing in 73 times. Yeah, so, and, you know, a lot of times, and I think you're alluding to this too, is you, a lot of companies will take whatever the hot thing is of the moment and try to shoehorn it into their conference call so that, again, those algorithms will see it and say, ooh, AI, 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 let's go. Yeah. I think in the case of NVIDIA, though, maybe it's actually deserved. Um, you know, I think, I think they could benefit from AI just because of, of you know, they are they do make some of the most sophisticated and powerful chips and software to run those chips. Oh, not, so. not disputing that. But I think, you know, to me, what was far more interesting on the NVIDIA call was the fact that they said that, you know, the the gaming inventory, the worst of it was behind them now. That, that's a good, that, that's to, a good point. That to me was far more interesting, but it, it also, you know, kind of, uh, it all painted over the fact that their data center business was down quarter over quarter. But, well, that but anyway, that's just what I was going to say. So you had this this better than expected performance in gaming, but this kind of worse than expected performance maybe in, in data center. And to your point, you know, year over year, revenue was down 21% and earnings per share were down 33%. Yeah. Yet the stock is up 13% as of the time that we're recording this. Uh, I, I Well, you know, I, I have to go back and take a look because I, I did not look to see, uh, you know, the short interest on NVIDIA shares. Um, that could explain some of what's going on in terms of that pop, because e- even the other companies out there, Marvell, AMD, they're not up anywhere near as much uh, on that positive news from NVIDIA. And again, I think it's more specific to NVIDIA giving a 73 times with AI. And the thing is, like, if we look around at other companies, and I, I want to say it was Global Foundries who reported last week. Um, they were saying that their data center business was up, I think, 27% in the quarter year over year. Big numbers. 
Um, but they see that market down year over year in 2023. So I, I, I do think that, you know, there can always be some market share shifts that, that certainly happens, but I, I do think that the combination of a little bit of short covering and <laughs> the vast number of AI references are helping out NVIDIA shareholders today. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no disagreeing on, on that point. It, it is kind of interesting. And maybe this speaks to the kind of stock picking environment that we maybe were in for 2023, where, you know, if you can go out and find, you know, the stocks are going to be winners, you can do really well. I mean, NVIDIA, you know, it was a hundred dollar stock um, not that long ago. Uh, and it's rallied pretty significantly. A lot of these semiconductor stocks have rallied pretty significantly since last fall, right? So, you know, I, and, and then, you know, Chris, just to follow up on a conversation we had had a month ago on the podcast, just looking at what had been strongest, what baskets had been strongest mm -hmm. to start the year in that strong month of January. You know, I went back and I looked today now that we've had a week February and the year-to-date performance is still led by early cycle baskets. So consumer discretionary, XLY, up 13% year-to-date. Technology, up 9.5% year-to-date. And financials, up 4% year-to-date. The one other interesting takeaway is that value, though, still a little bit better year-to-date than growth. So the IVE, which is the value S&P 500, up 4.4%, while the S&P 500 growth up 4%. So there's an interesting disconnect there. And I think people are definitely looking for you know, maybe dividend paying, they're paying more attention to valuation than they were in the past. Yet at the same time, you know, you, you did, you see these, these huge moves in some of these other early cycle baskets uh, still year to date. And maybe that's because people are starting to think forward and saying, well, what, what might it look like in early 2024 versus, you know, mid 2023? I don't know. Now, now, now Todd, I hear you rattling these off and, I, and I'm sure the listeners are thinking the same thing I am. Wow, that's great that those are leading. Who's lagging? Yeah. Okay. So the laggards are the recessionary and late cycle baskets. So if you look at the, you know, I look at the major 11, you know, major ETF sector industry ETFs and the worst is utilities, which is a recession. It does typically does mm -hmm, best in mm -hmm. recession. It's down 5%. Next worst is energy down 4.5%. And that typically does best you know, when inflation is accelerating rather than contracting. So we'll be interested to see how that plays out for the rest of the year, depending on whether or not inflation does reaccelerate. Um, healthcare, again, recessionary oriented basket that tends not to do well in the early cycle and consumer staples. So all, all, all of those are down so far year to date. So there definitely was like, kind of like a mean reversion trade where people said, okay, I've been short all of these early cycle baskets, but maybe we're in the second half of the bear market and i don't want to be pressing those bets i want to at least get to back to neutral and that caused a lot of those baskets to run up and then they needed money to do those trades you know or whatever who knows and maybe they used some of the gains they had had in some of these other baskets to try and get more aggressive i don't know we will see we will see you know the great thing about the stock market is also one of the most uh, frustrating ones is that it's an evolving landscape and it means just keeping our nose to the grindstone todd you know reassessing the data, re revisiting our investment thesis or our mosaic, our tapestry, what, what, whatever you would like to call it. Uh, with that in mind, what's the one piece of data, Todd, that you'll focus in on next week? Um, I, you know what? It's not data that I'm going to be watching. Again, I'm going to be looking for the bond market and the currency market to hat tip that maybe the worst is starting to get behind us on this pullback. 
Okay. So, you know, what I want to start seeing is I want to start seeing um, the bond ETFs start to get gain some ground and make back some of the losses this month. And I want to see the dollar start to weaken relative to overseas currencies. Now, that's an interesting point because I think we had some Eurozone inflation data come out uh, today, again, uh, Thursday, February 23rd, as we're talking about this. And it was down a little bit compared to uh, recent data, really given the fall off in energy. But if you're right, and if maybe we see energy rebound, that could pose a little bit of a problem there, forcing the ECB's hands all of a sudden. You know, we're back in lockstep. Perhaps the ECB is tightening uh, in a similar fashion with the U.S. And, the, and by that, I mean the Fed, of course. And then all of a sudden, we do see the dollar start to give back some of its recent gains. Yeah, so it will be it will be very interesting to see how that plays out because, I mean, the dollar was a big headwind to, to corporate um, financials last year, multinationals, especially technology. Mm-hmm. It's been a tailwind since October as it's as fallen, but in February it's rallied since the second. So right, yeah. That, so that's what I'm going to be watching, Chris. How about yourself? Well, you know, just sticking with what you said there, I know I believe Salesforce reports next week, and they were one of the first companies in the middle of last year to really warn on the dollar. So I, I will be listening to what they have to say about that. But in terms of the hard economic data, you know, again, we're trying to triangulate this. You know, what does inflation look like? What's the speed of the economy? You know, what does the Fed have to do versus could they tip the economy into a recession? You know, that sort of ongoing uh, groundhog day-like debate that we've been having. Um, You know, for me, it means focusing really on those two pieces of ISM data that come out next week for February, both manufacturing and services. Uh, That data gets factored into the Atlanta Fed's GDP now forecast, unlike uh, the similar data that's published by S&P Global. So I'll really be leaning into what ISM has to say. And as we've talked here uh, previously on the podcast and I've shared with AAP members, the correlation between S&P 500 revenue and the ISM data, both manufacturing and services, is extremely high. So that's why I will be zeroed in on what that data says. And then based on that, I'll be rejiggering expectations uh, for S&P 500 earnings, uh, you know, in the coming quarters. Great. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got nothing to add on that. Wow, I converted you. I won you over, Todd. That's fantastic. Why, thank you. Any um, and and I know you said earlier that you're um, kind of watching uh, the reaction to to data in general, and you mentioned in particular now, uh, you know, bonds and currency. But I did kind of tip one company that I'll be listening to next week, and I and I know for the AAP portfolio, we we have a bunch of companies reporting, um, you know, including Axon and ChargePoint, and and two or three others as well next week, but. From an from an earnings perspective, is there any one report, Todd, that you're most interested to hear about? You know, I just want to go back to what you were just saying. Did I see correctly? And you, I'm throwing this at you. You may not have seen it. Did you see? Was it UBS? Somebody said 60 billion opportunity in in uh, EV infrastructure. I did not say that, but that yeah. does not. But that does not surprise me. 
right? So, you know, it's really interesting when we talk EVs. Everybody is so fixated on the passenger car market and they tie it to Tesla. In fact, I think you and I had talked on one previous episode of the podcast about how ChargePoint or Blink Charging or any, any of the charging companies, you know, their stock has been really linked to uh, how Tesla trades, right? But But when you step back and you look at what's happening in the EV space, and I'm using the larger definition of vehicle, right? Not passenger car. Everything from trucks to fleets to, I was reading this morning about gar- electric garbage trucks to mm-hmm. ag equipment, construction equipment. I mean, there there is a major, major push here. Um, so much so that one of the, you know, uh, thematic models that I'm contemplating is something called EVX Auto, Todd. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I think that would be kind of interesting. So it doesn't surprise me that the EV infrastructure market is that big. Um, you know, to me, it's always a question of how many years is it going to play out? What's the opportunity? And, and of course, from a business perspective, stock perspective, when do we see the peak spending? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're still really quite early innings. Oh, absolutely. Building out all this infrastructure. I mean, look at how many gas stations we have and then think about how many electric, you know, recharging stations we have. I mean, it's a, yeah. well, I, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that because I, I think it was Volt that is getting acquired by Shell. And, and if you think about it, you know, the other major gas station companies, everybody from, you know, Exxon to BP, Shell, of course, I just mentioned. Do you really think that they're going to watch their business fall by the wayside? No way. Yeah. Yeah. So no, they're I, gonna I, absolutely it, install electric chargers at every gas station eventually. Well, the, either they're going to do that or they're going to buy up, you know, these companies that are charging stations and kind of rebrand them to, to accelerate their footprint. So it's. Yeah, so, it, so I thought that I thought that that was kind of interesting and kind of played into it. And then just more generally, I think that at the end of next, by the end of next week, we, we're going to have pretty much. I would say most of the S&P 500 companies having reported, right? Yes, I believe that is the case. Yeah, so I I think at that point, we could really take a look again at that fact fact set earnings insight mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. get a real good, you know, read on on what, you know, people's expectations are now for, you know, the Q1 and Q2 numbers. I think that's all right. All right. So, so let's, let's, let's go on record here, Todd. Last I saw for 2022, uh, again, this is using fact set data for, um, EPS S and P 500 2022 was around 219. That was roughly the last number I recall seeing. Um, what do you think we'll wind up seeing 2023 go to, let's say with, uh, the first, Fact set earnings insight report in March. I think we're at 224 now. So it wouldn't shock me if we got to 219. I so don't flat. Know. So so flat. Flat. You're you're thinking flat. Yeah. Okay. So I do know that the last I looked, there was probably, I want to say, you know, low double digits. S&P 500 companies yet to report with the bulk of them being retail and and some later later technology companies. Um, I'm going to say that we will see 2023 EPS below 2022. Yeah. Well, notice I, I mean, didn't say notice I didn't say how much. 
You're smart. You're smart. I'm managing. I'm managing expectations, Todd. That's all I'm doing. I know. I and I do think that it's going to be below. Uh, it, it's hard to say. You know, I I think ultimately as we go through the year and if rates tick higher, like we were talking about earlier, you know, that 2023 expectation is going to come down a little bit. I, I I think more so for the second quarter than anything else. And I and it's been a little bit, but I do need to look at what the expectation was. I think, if I recall correctly, there was a a decent pickup in the June quarter compared to the March quarter in terms of expectations. And I I think that's probably what's going to get dialed back. Yeah, I want to say it's uh, actually I might have that. Oh, I have it. Some trust me, I have it somewhere. Yeah, I I, I thought maybe I had it right here in front of me and I could share with people, but um, it looks like I don't have that quite in front of me. So but yeah, yeah, I think it's supposed to just, you know, we'll, we'll bottom out. Um, and then start to build back. But like you said, the real the real test is going to be what's going to happen with those estimates for the back half of the year. It always and, is. Yep. And will the, how how dramatically will those retreat? And then the other thing that we have to think about, though, as investors, is we have to recognize that you know coming out of bear markets, um, stocks usually bottom before the economy, which means they right. bottom before earnings. So you can get elevated PE ratios. Um, at the early, say three to six months, uh, you know, beginning part of of the rally, because earnings estimates are still falling, uh, and they haven't trout, you know, they haven't bottomed out yet. So, you know, I suppose you could make the argument that this isn't that unique in the fact that you know valuations a little bit more stretched than it was last fall, uh, because at some point earnings are going to end up starting to catch play catch up again. Yeah, exactly right, and, and you know the. There are different rules of thumb for different sectors, but I know having grown up in cyclicals, right, you really want to buy them when they look very expensive because you've got EPS that is bottomed out. That's really what you want to do. So, but anyway, Todd, we said we would be short and yet we couldn't do it. (laughs) Too much good stuff to share. Let me, uh, let me bid you adieu because I do have to get rolling to this conference. Uh, I, I again, I really want to thank you for being flexible. Hopefully, we'll be back on a on a regular schedule next week. But, listeners, uh, that is today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, be sure to catch um, you know my thoughts over at Action Alerts Plus, and always, always be sure to read what Todd is writing and sharing over at uh, Street Smarts. <laughs>